Well, I want to start today by just saying um, how glad I am that each of you are here today. And I say that because, you know, each week as a staff, we pray for you all and we pray um, for Sunday worship. And you never know who God's going to bring through those doors on Sunday. But I'm excited about today because I think it's so important, this message. It really hits at the heart of our faith. And so I'm just glad you're here to hear it. And the same thing goes for those of you who are joining us online. So I want to start, obviously, with the context, just because it's so important that we see where we've been. Um, You know that we're kind of studying this ongoing opening line that Paul writes in chapter 5, where he exhorts us to imitate God by walking in love. And hopefully you all have been working on that over the last couple of weeks and months, really, as we've been studying this, that you're working on what it means to walk in love and imitate God, because it's pretty challenging. In fact, Paul teaches that in order to walk in love the way God calls us to, that Paul has taught us that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is not something that happens to us. It is something that we actively participate in. It's part of that middle voice that we keep talking about where we take counsel from the Holy Spirit and we do something with it. We respond to it. And then Paul gives us three ways in which we can respond by praising, giving thanks, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that last one, submitting, is a challenge because it's all about unity within relationships. And for all of us who are in relationships, which is pretty much everybody here, we know how difficult and challenging that can be. And so Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He actually shows us how this works in three very specific relationships. Wives and husbands, children and parents, and servants and masters. Of course, Paul first showed us how wives are to submit to their husbands, meaning they yield or they subordinate themselves to their husband out of devotion to the Lord and for the sake of unity. It's all part of God's design as even the unity of the Trinity operates within this exact same principle. But of course, submission doesn't happen in a vacuum because wives submit to husbands who are to love them with agape love, selfless, unconditionally, because as we learned, love is not a feeling. It is an act of the will. It's choosing to be patient and kind, choosing to not envy or boast, choosing to not be arrogant or rude, choosing to not insist on its own way, choosing to not be irritable or resentful, choosing to never rejoice in wrong, but rather in the truth. It bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things, and it never ends. And when husbands choose to love like that, and wives submit to their husbands, they're filled with the Spirit. And what's so compelling about the way Paul teaches this is that he iterates. He goes back and forth between husbands and wives and Christ in the church, and then husbands and wives and Christ in the church. So to teach wives how to submit to their husbands, Paul refers to how the church submits to Christ. And to teach husbands how they're to love their wives, Paul uses the example of how Christ loves the church. And then a little later in the passage, Paul will use marriage to illustrate stuff about Christ 
and the church. So let's keep this in mind as we progress over the next few weeks. We're learning in both directions here. But of course, the overarching lesson, and we cannot miss this, the thing that Paul wants us to see is that God designed both of these relationships such that they're to be filled with the Spirit, meaning He desires to be in these relationships. Just as the Holy Spirit fills the church as He unites it in Christ, He fills Christians as He unites their marriage in Christ. This is God's design for how unity is to unfold in the context of the church and in the context of Christian marriage. And when we choose to submit in obedience to God's design, it puts us in step with His will, meaning we're walking hand in hand with Him, and He fills us with His Spirit. This is a truth that we must embrace. So once again today, our focus will be on husbands, as we learned last week that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So in order for husbands how to know, to know how to love their wives, they have to know how it is that Christ loved the church, and that's why they have to live out of their Bibles, that their Bibles need to be open more than they are closed. Of course, this is what Paul is going to teach us all about today, Christ's love for the church. And we're going to find, as the Paul essentially lays out, the doctrine of salvation in this teaching. It's such an important teaching. That's why I'm so excited about this one. It involves justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, we've seen each of these individually because Paul's spoken to them at various times throughout this letter. But today, we get to see how he puts them all together and the linkage that we see here. Of course, the cornerstone of this teaching is that drop of Christ's blood up there. It is the key to it all. It is the foundation. So you have to ask yourself, why is it then that Paul launches into the doctrine of salvation in the middle of this teaching on marriage? Well, obviously, because Jesus did this, right, all of the stuff you see up there in order to save God's beloved children, which is ultimately demonstrating to us Christ's love for us. So we must understand this doctrine of salvation, if we want to grasp how it is that husbands are to love their wives. But of course, this teaching on the doctrine of salvation, it's not just for husbands. It's profitable for all of us. So it's important that we pay particularly close attention here so that we can preach this to ourselves. It's actually something we need to do every single day is get up in the morning and preach this doctrine of salvation. So we want to pay particularly close attention today so you know how to preach to yourself in the right way. And I'm actually going to drive you crazy today, I think, because I'm probably going to go through this three, maybe even four times, right? So you just got to get this in your head. So we're just going to keep going this over and over and over again. Okay, so it starts as we learned last week with the fact that Christ gave himself up for the church. He gave himself up for her. That is what justification is all about. Now, the verb gave is in the past tense, so it's something Christ has already done for us. And this, of course, refers to both the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas, and, of course, the cross, what we celebrate at Easter. When out of love, Jesus chose to set aside his place in heaven, become fully man, confront the temptations of the world, and then suffer and die for our sins. 
You see, he chose to bear the wrath we deserved so he could substitute his righteousness for our sinfulness, washing us in his blood so we could be justified or declared righteous as God's beloved children. It's how we can stand before our holy God, perfectly holy, as though we were Jesus himself. And that's why the blood of Christ is the foundation of our salvation. It's what sets us apart as Christians. It's what makes us born again into a new life in Christ. And it's what seals us with the Holy Spirit for that day of redemption that's coming. So Jesus loved his church that much that he gave himself up, shed his own blood to justify her, to declare her righteous before Almighty God, and to set her apart. But Jesus didn't just stop there. He loves his church so much that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So not only does Jesus justify, but he also sanctifies. The process whereby we progress in holiness. Paul describes it here as a washing, so it's an ongoing process. It's what the Holy Spirit does as he makes us more Christ-like by convicting, counseling, and comforting us, helping us to progress in holiness day by day, week by week, year by year, so that we might be presented in splendor, in excellence, that's where we're headed, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Can you imagine? That's how you'll be described. But Jesus didn't just stop there either. He loves his church so much that he ultimately wants a bride who is holy and without blemish. And of course, that's what is meant by glorification, the final removal of sin from the life of a saint. So Jesus is clearly committed to restoring his church to full communion with his Holy Father. He loves his church that much. And to do that, he had to justify us in the past by giving himself up so that we could be declared righteous, set apart, and that we could be indwelled with his Holy Spirit who is sanctifying us in the present, helping us to progress in holiness each day so that he can one day in the future glorify us. We will stand holy and without blemish before our perfectly holy Father. Are you beginning to see now just how much Christ loves his church? And that's why this image that so many professing Christians carry around with them of this God standing there with his arms crossed, looking for us to screw up, it's just not the picture of God we see in Scripture here. Now, we have a God who absolutely loves his adopted children. In fact, in Scripture, it says that God is madly in love with them, as we sang in that first song today. So important that we start to see ourselves that way. That's why Jesus chose to do all of this, because he loves us, and love is an act of the will, as we've learned. Because it's only when we step back to look at this doctrine of salvation that Paul's teaching us about here that we can begin to grasp what agape love is really all about. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, this is doctrine. 
this is complicated stuff. How am I ever supposed to remember all this stuff? How am I supposed to be able to preach this to myself every single morning? Well, that's why we have this graphic we constantly refer to. It portrays this doctrine of salvation. And you notice we got it back up on the wall now, too, now that we've fixed up some of the paint and stuff. Hopefully this helps us see how this all hangs together, especially with regard to the love that Christ has for his church. Of course, this also is personal because this is our experience if we've been born again. So we should know this experientially as well because we all start out on that wide, dark path that leads to eternal destruction. We're all children of wrath, as Paul calls us. But even despite our sin and our rebellion, Jesus loves us. That's what unconditional agape love is all about. Jesus didn't love the church because she was lovable. He loved her because she's comprised of his beloved children, regardless of what we've done. It doesn't matter to him. Jesus washes those who place their faith in him in that red drop of blood up there because it's the only thing that can make us right. It's what sets them apart. It's what justifies us. It's what makes us born again into a new life in Christ. That is our identity now. Nothing more, nothing less. Baptized and sealed by the Holy Spirit who guarantees their salvation. Once they are on that path, they cannot lose their way. Salvation is secured. If that is us, if we are born again, we will one day absolutely pass through that narrow gate into the fullness of God's glory. And of course, in the meantime, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying those who've been born again, walking them hand in hand down that well-lighted, narrow path as they progress in holiness, helping them to grow up or mature in Christ, always encouraging them to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Stop doing that stuff they did before they were born again and be robed with true righteousness and holiness. Because the more they grow in holiness, the more they will begin to see their sin the way God sees their sin, as nasty, repulsive stuff. And they won't want to have anything to do with that foul stuff anymore because they've got a new focus now. It's God's glory alone. Those words you see in front up here every Sunday, it's that reminder that that is the focus, God's glory alone. So their eyes are fixed on that day when they'll stand in God's glorious presence, themselves glorified, all remaining sin removed so that they're holy before their perfectly holy Father. That's the doctrine of salvation, where our triune God makes his beloved children clean again. So do you see why it's so important that we know just how much Jesus loves us? Look at all that he's done for us. I hope this graphic is being burned into the canvas of our hearts so that we can live it out in our lives. It's the good news of the gospel message. It's the doctrine of salvation. It's how we get clean. And so we got to preach this to ourselves every single day and then share it with all those who God puts in our path each day. It's why as part of our pillar training, many of us are working on one minute, three minute, and 10 minute versions of this truth so that we can live this truth out in our lives. We get it in us and then start doing it 
everywhere God places us in our everyday, ordinary lives. Okay, just a few more quick nuggets we've got to look at here. It's so important that we grasp this connection between justification, sanctification, and glorification. They go together. You cannot do one in isolation. If one happens, they all happen. Notice how after Paul mentions the justification piece in blue up there and gave himself up for her, he then begins both the sanctification piece, the part in orange, and the glorification piece, the part in gray, with this word, that. So he justifies you with his blood so that he can sanctify you with his spirit and so that he can one day glorify you in his Father's presence. So those he justifies, he sanctifies. And those he sanctifies, he glorifies. So for Christians, those who've been justified and are in the process of being sanctified, if you're not progressing down that narrow path to holiness, then you can only conclude one of two things. Either you're grieving the Holy Spirit, you're living in unrepentant sin, or you're quenching him. You're just ignoring all of his counsel, both of which mean you're not walking in obedience and living a spirit-filled life, or you've never been born again. You've never been justified. You haven't actually placed your faith in Jesus. You're just going through the motions. You're just kind of like, you know, just kind of signing your, your, your name without reading what you're involved in. You're not responding to all that the Holy Spirit is doing to call you to be justified, sanctified, and glorified. Because we know those he justifies, he sanctifies. And those he sanctifies, he glorifies. So if we're not progressing, we've got to read between the lines there. Pretty straightforward. But there's actually even more of a linkage here, as Paul writes, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So the washing of the water refers to the sacrament of baptism. In Scripture, water represents being made clean or being freed from bondage. Recall Moses led Israel to pass through the waters of the Red Sea. And when they did, it essentially freed them from their Egyptian captors. So for Christians, baptism represents freedom from the bondage of sin. Now, the baptismal waters do not have special power to clean or to set anyone free, just like the Red Sea didn't have special power for that. But rather, it represents what happens to people when they're born again, when they're set free from the bondage of sin. And it starts with repenting, repenting of sin, acknowledging their need for a Savior, and then placing their faith in Jesus so that they're justified or made right by Christ's blood shed on that cross. It's what sets them apart. And in that moment, when they receive the Holy Spirit, who seals or guarantees their salvation, they become part of the invisible church, the true church. That's what happens when someone is born again. So if you've never been born again, those are your next steps. So baptism by water is an outward sign of the inward transformation that happens when we're justified or born again. It's one of our sacraments in our church because Jesus instituted the practice and then he commanded us to do it too. In fact, recall when Jesus came out of those baptismal waters, what happened? Scripture says the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And that's what happens to us. That's what happens when we're born again too. 
That is the cleansing by the washing of water that Paul is referring to here. We receive the Holy Spirit. Now the linkage to sanctification occurs as we study this next part, with the Word. Of course, Paul is referring here to Scripture, the written Word of God, which contains the truth. That's why it's so important that we live with these Bibles open in our lives. And as we know, the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired these words we find in Scripture. He is the divine author of truth. So do you see the linkage now between the water and the Word? It's the Holy Spirit of God. We received Him when we were born again, which our baptism represents, and He is the one who then uses this Word in the ongoing process of cleaning God's children up. That's why it's so important that this thing is open. Because when we approach the Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are changed and we progress in holiness as He convicts us, as He counsels us, and as He comforts us with the living truth of God's Word. It is the very process of sanctification so that Jesus might present us to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It's living a Spirit-filled life. And it's all part of Jesus' desire to be in this ongoing relationship with all of God's adopted children. Are you beginning to see now the lengths to which Jesus goes to demonstrate his love for us? Okay, so here's now the fourth time I'm going to go through this, right? This is the truth. This is the summary, right, of all that we see on this doctrine of salvation. Jesus came down from heaven to justify us by dying on a cross, shedding his blood so that we would be born again into a new life in Christ. And then he sent his spirit to sanctify us, to help us progress in holiness by his word. And that's because Jesus has a plan to come again. It's called the second coming, when the son comes for his bride so that he might glorify her. And it could happen any day. Removing all remaining sin so that the church can stand before God as God originally designed her. Do you know this? Are you experiencing it? Jesus is devoted to God's beloved children to the very end. It's why those he justifies, he will sanctify, and those he sanctifies, he will glorify. So husbands, do you see the kind of devotion it takes to love your wife like this? Love isn't something we just say when we turn the light out and we roll over before we go to sleep. No, it is about the totality of our lives. That is how we are to love. It is an act of the will, and it springs forth from our devotion to Jesus and our desire to do things as God designed them. Because when we live that way, obedient to his will, he fills us with his spirit, and we progress in holiness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, as always, for your word today. We praise you, sovereign and good God, and we thank you that you love us so much that you sent your Son to justify, sanctify, and glorify us. Would you fill us with your Spirit as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Wives submitting to their husbands as to the Lord, Husbands loving their wife as Christ loves the church and doing it all for God's glory alone. 
in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.